Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in today, for continuing to tune in along the way as we are moving along in this show. I do recognize the concept of opportunity cost, and I recognize that when you listen to this show, you are giving me your time, you are giving our guests your time, um, and, and I promise I'm doing the best that I can to steward that time and to make the most and hopefully give you in return the most value that we possibly can here. Today's guest is none other than Josh Smith. Josh is one of less than 200 master bladesmiths in the entire world, and he's the founder of Montana Knife Company. From the age of 11, Josh dedicated a large portion of his time to mastering the craft of knife making after a youth baseball coach got him interested. As an adult, he worked a full-time day job for many years in an effort to provide a stable income and living to support and very intentionally raise his four kids before quitting just about a year ago to start the now exploding Montana Knife Company. One thing I really appreciate about Josh is his commitment to his family and his intentionality as a father. As a man of old school character, he's always working to do right by others and is the kind of guy that deserves the benefit of the doubt. But above it all, he's an incredible man, husband, and father, and I am so excited to have had the opportunity to connect with him. So here's my conversation with the Josh Smith. And we are live. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And today we have a very unique guest, uniquely gifted guest with us josh smith he is a master bladesmith one of the one of the only ones in the world i was looking it up this morning i think there's less than 200 total in the world um and he is one of them and he's also the the founder and uh an operator of montana knife company which is just absolutely going gangbusters right now um absolutely killing it going viral um so josh before i let you jump in i do want to acknowledge what you guys are doing real quick because i've been so um, impressed with how you guys have been able to tell this and just so such an impressive brand story with Montana Knife Company. It's it's like you've got all these like just decades of experience and and craftsmanship and all this stuff, all your experiences. It's all packed into the to the branding. You've got it seems like every uh, quote unquote influencer in the outdoor space and hunting space is all about Montana Knife Company. Like. Bert and Joe Rogan, Cam Haynes, Ryan Micker, all these guys that, you know, we all know and love and respect are just in love with the brand. And, you know, like myself, I've actually never been hunting in my life, but when I follow you guys and I'm seeing just how awesome the knives look and everybody, you've got this whole community feel and it's all just pulled so tightly into the brand. Like I've never been hunting, but it makes me want to go buy a crossbow and get out and uh, get out <laughs> in the woods and go wandering. And I've just been so impressed with what you guys have been able to do there. Um, so yeah, all that being well, said, thank Josh you. Smith, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all the kind words and, uh, no, it's awesome to join you. I, uh, I got to give my, my business partner, Brandon, he's, uh, 
he's the other half of MKC and does, does a lot of the marketing stuff makes me, uh, makes me look good and <laughs> makes us look good. So, um, but no, it's a cool, it's been a really cool company to launch. Uh, I think part of why it's working so well is it's definitely, uh, our passion. We're authentic. It's just who we are. Um, and like you said, I've made knives for 30 years, so it's, you know, I, I know that, that world pretty well. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, to market that people that you feel like are just like you, like, you know, you, you kind of know what they're looking for and what's important to them. And, uh, those things are, you know, important to us as well. So. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Well, there's, there's no doubt the authenticity comes through. So kudos to you guys. Um, well, so thanks. Kick, yeah. Take... And I, and I, and sorry to cut you off, but I, uh, you know, in regards to all those people wearing our stuff or using our knives, um, it, it blows me away. Like every time I open my phone, I'm scrolling through and there's a picture of one of our knives or hats or shirts or whatever. And, you know, we're, we're not paying anyone to wear any of that stuff. I mean, it's, everyone's just doing it and supporting us out of the goodness of their heart and because they believe in it, um, which is, makes it just even more incredible. Um, it, it would be one thing if we had like a huge budget, uh, you know, I quit my job as a lineman to start to really launch off into this hard at the end of last year. And, mm -hmm. um, we don't have investors. We don't have a bunch of money behind us. It was just, a, you know, like you, you had, uh, Bert Soren on your podcast and, yep. um, guys like him just, you know, rooting us on and cheering us on and guys like Joe Rogan and Cam Haynes. It's just been awesome. So pretty fortunate. Yeah, no doubt. That's uh, that's awesome. So I want to I want to take it all the way back and kind of so now we know what you do. We we know a little bit about Montana Knife Company. And I know we'll kind of talk about it more as we get into the conversation. But I want to take it back and hear a little bit more of maybe how we got here. And I want to go all the way back. I want to hear about your childhood, uh, family dynamic, what what you were into as a kid, all that kind of good stuff. If you can give us a little bit of an overview there. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a small town logging community in uh, Lincoln, Montana. Uh, you know, it's probably a town of somewhere around 1500 people. Um, I, my parents owned an excavation business. Uh, so I grew up from, you know, just a little kid uh, learning to run backhoes and dump trucks and excavators. And I, I, I worked with them, you know, all the way through high school doing that stuff and after high school for a little while. Uh, I was super, super fortunate from the family life standpoint, great parents, um, great home life, uh, kind of, uh, you know, just, just as about as good a home life as you can have, you know, parents that did a good job, didn't fight, you know, weren't alcoholics. Like I didn't have any, you know, really fortunate to not have any issues at home. Uh, you know, we, we, definitely worked. I think my dad would even say now he kind of regrets maybe how hard and how much we worked and maybe didn't quite go play as much as we should have fishing or camping or that kind of stuff that I didn't really get to do that that much when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, I, I also loved working with my dad. Um, it wasn't, he wasn't, you know, I've never heard him yell actually in his life. Uh, he just, he just an easy guy to get along with, but he also put a lot of responsibility on me. He would put me in charge of jobs when I was literally 12 years old and say, you know, dig this ditch across this farmer's field and make sure it's this deep. And, you know, there were definitely a lot of times where he had to come back and fix it and make it better. But, um, no, that was, it was awesome. And then, 
I was a little league baseball player. I was 11 and my coach uh, made knives, uh, Rick Dunkerley. And so he started, uh, he would bring knives to practice just to show the dads hunting knives and stuff. And um, of course, being an 11 year old kid, I thought they were awesome. And so my parents bought me one for Christmas and he invited me up to his shop to make one. And I just kind of latched on to it. I mean, I was always kind of an entrepreneurial kid. I mean, my parents paid me to work in their excavation business. Um, you know, they were really good about like, if you're doing a good job and you're doing what an employee would do, then you're going to get paid like an employee would, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't like slave labor. Um, and, you know, I sold baseball cards and traded baseball cards and I just was always kind of doing that stuff. So I made a knife and then I made a couple more with him and uh, I sold my second and third knife at my uh, junior high science fair to my math teacher and my science teacher. And it was like something kind of clicked with me of like, Oh, wow. Like this could be a business, you know, I can make money making knives. Like how much better does that get? So that's kind of what I did. I just kept making them. Well, he, Rick was also kind of one of those guys where he was like, well, if you want to do this as a business, then you guys start doing it on your own. And so uh, I, I, I also had a lawn mowing business. So my mom would haul me around with my mower on a trailer and drop me off and I'd do different jobs. And of course we didn't have cell phones back then. So I'd call her from the customer's house and say, come get me. And um, so I used that money to start buying knife equipment. And I, I was putting it in my dad's shop originally. He's pretty clean and knife making grinding dust stuff is pretty dirty. So pretty quickly he was like, okay, we, you need your own shop. And so he enclosed a lean to, uh, just machine shed, like a, like a 10 by 10 little room, uh, uninsulated out in a, in a, in a shop. And that became my little knife shop for quite a few years. We actually added on to it when I was in high school, cause I kind of grew out of it. But, uh, no, I, between working in my parents' business, my lawn mowing business and making knives, I just made money to buy equipment. And by the time I graduated high school, you know, I really had a, full-on productive knife shop, you know, uh, mm -hmm. as, as good as, you know, most knife makers around the country at that point. So it was an advantage because I didn't have, you know, kids and house payments and all that. I could just put all my money into my shop. Yep. Um, um, and I hunted and fished and, you know, I, and my parents didn't do that, but my, uh, had an uncle and I had another guy, uh, two couple guys just in town. I was friends with a lot of guys that were in there, like say, 20s and 30s you know they were old and uh i was young <laughs> and uh th they would take me hunting and you know i kind of learned the whole kind of hunting stuff from my uncle and a couple of those guys in town gotcha so, so you said something there that i want to peel back on before we go further in the story you talked about how or just hearing you kind of reflect on your dad even more recently reflecting back saying that you know maybe we worked too much or maybe we had right. too much emphasis on the on the work have you had that in the back of your mind now you know as, as you're raising your own family like is that something you've kind of kept with you or is that something you you think about or you know I'm always curious yeah. how how men balance that with their families yeah and I and I definitely haven't been perfect at it um you know I I kind of have both ends of the spectrums right now with kids I have four kids uh, three daughters and a boy. Uh, my oldest is a senior in high school, a uh, girl. 
my fourth is she's 11 years old. Um, my boy's 13 and I have a 16 year old as well daughter. Um, so, uh, I, I definitely already kind of regret even not doing more with my senior, you know, when they're, by the time they're sophomores and juniors and seniors, they, they're so busy with their own lives that now it's, it's hard for me to get any time with them. I mean, my one daughter this morning and we were talking about, she's in four honors classes and an AP world history. And, you know, she's doing her, and she, she was a valid Victorian of her junior high. And oh. now she's in high school and she's doing homework till 10, 15 every night. And before school was always like, she just come home. It was all done. She mm -hmm. never had homework. And now, now I can't, can't get her to do anything. She's just between sports and schoolwork. So uh, I am trying to definitely be better about that with my younger ones who aren't as busy. Uh, you know, for example, uh, this last week I took my boy deer hunting. Uh, we packed in our tents on our backs and our sleeping bags. And frankly, I had actually gone on a hunt in Idaho myself the week earlier, and I really didn't probably have the time to take him, but mm -hmm. definitely thinking about that with my dad, like I just did it. And I'm definitely behind and running like crazy right now. But um, I, I actually really do uh, want to try to take more time with, with them. But for sure, I've been better. I would say, you know, my parents were damn near perfect uh, as far as from my perspective growing up. Mm -hmm. um, but that's definitely something I've done better, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and they would fully admit that, you know, my dad yeah. compliments me on on that. And, um, he's just a hard worker. It's just how he grew up. And, and honestly, we were in a very seasonal business in Montana where, mm -hmm. uh, from April 1st to, you know, October 1st is your only time. It's like a farmer. That's your time to make money. And so we were six, seven days a week. Well, then in the winter we were in school. So we took mm -hmm. some family trips and stuff over Christmas, but, uh, it wasn't really the time to go camping, fishing, hunting, you know, a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, that's, it's cool to hear you reflect on that. You know, even now with everything that you guys have going on with Montana knife company exploding the way that it is. And, you know, you making the point, like, son, we're going hunting. We're going to go spend some time together. You know, it may not like, if you look at my work calendar may not look like I've got time, but I'm going to make time, you know, um, that's yeah. really cool to, to hear you reflect on that and, and set a good example. Cause you know, there's, you know, you, you, especially you're in a position now where a lot of people are watching and following. And I think that's so cool that there's, you know, guys like you and in your position are taking that stance and really investing in that time, um, with their yeah, kids. The last, the last three years I've taken, you know, my two daughters and my boy, like every year we just me and them, I take the camper and we head out to Eastern Montana. We hunt for four or five days. Uh, I, I don't care if I had to put the fuel on a credit card or whatever I had to do, like I was going to make that happen. And, um, now my oldest two daughters probably so busy, they won't even be able to do it this year, but yeah, I'm definitely glad I did that stuff, you know? And, um, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm a decent knife maker and whatever, but I, I will definitely say I've, I've made my fair, a share of mistakes parenting or lost my temper or whatever at times. But, uh, it's probably the thing I feel like I've done I'm definitely most proud of her. I've done best in life is I've, I've got four really, really good kids. You know, I mean, I, from the time they were little, little, I could take them anywhere, do anything. I never had to wrap my life around them. They always just went and did 
whatever we were doing and they were respectful and um, yeah, they're really good kids. So I, I really think as kind of shitty as our world is today, um, our only real way out of it is, is good parenting. Like, uh, I, you know, all the, all the money, if you want to get into politics or whatever, all the money that the government spends and sends and does whatever, um, you know, there should be, I would, I would be actually in support of them spending freaking billions, hundreds of billions, if it took it to help parent, help parents parent better when they're babies to, to five years old. Um, you got all these single moms or couples that don't know what they're doing or they're working two jobs and kids going to daycare. And um, in my mind, our only way out of our situation as a country is, is, is parenting. You know, you just got to see so many kids in rough situations. It's, and it's just exponentially getting worse, you know? Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day, um, super recently thinking about everybody. We've just kind of got, like, if you go online, it's so hard to find anything positive. You know, it's kind of like everybody's, there's so much, um, people's quote unquote contribution is, is arguing online. And there's a lot of, you know, greasy fingers on the keyboard talking trash. And there's, to me, like, that's just not, it's not a realistic approach to actually make a change. And to your point, like, if you can't first make a change within yourself, and then immediately make that change within your, within your own family, like, to me, if, if you don't have those bases covered, it's like, who are you to go start arguing online and contributing to all this madness? You know, if you're throwing, you know, sticks from a, gla- a glass well, house. The, the amount of time that people waste uh, on social media and whatever, staring at their phone, arguing at whatever, while they could be, uh, spending that time with their kid, parenting, uh, throwing a ball, Mm -hmm. uh, just asking them how their homework is helping them, whatever, like the amount of, if all that time, if half of that time was just spent on parenting, um, things would be a lot better right now. And I, I know like my wife just quit her job as a teacher. She was a middle school teacher, uh, just quit this fall. Um, and you know, you just see so many, so many sad cases of kids that, uh, whether it's, whether it's a mom or parents trying their hardest and just not really around that much. And also not, uh, maybe just don't know how to parent to kids that are just full on neglected. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all those kids, she was a seventh grade teacher. And I told her all those kids are going to be having kids in five to seven years, you know? um stats show kids like that actually tend to have kids at a younger age and Mm -hmm. more kids you know um so that just makes and how are those kids going to be good parents if they haven't been modeled it you know so uh yeah parenting it's a parenting crisis i feel like we're in you know and it's not definitely i was not a soft parent i was a hard ass for sure um at times you know uh probably a little unfair once in a while Mm-hmm. Um, but I would all, the one thing I always did really good is even if I was a little unfair, I, I'd come back and be like, Hey, I might've been a little too hard on you there. I apologize. However, this is the expectation. Right. And then number two is I never held a grudge. I mean, I don't care what the situation was at whatever age, it didn't matter. Once we had it out and had our punishment, our discussion or whatever it was, um, 10 minutes later, it's, we're just on to the next thing, like, mm-hmm. and it's never brought up again. And that's where kids, I think 
need to know that like it's dealt with and then we move forward and, and you're not carrying that burden around for the next month and you're not telling them like, I see parents do it all the time where they're like you know yeah well you know last week you did this well that was last week <laughs> right move on <laughs> yeah you like know? yeah we don't want to label our kids based on their actions like we want to be able yeah. to correct it and have them grow from it right yeah yeah no it's uh parenting's a um it's a topic I get pretty passionate on because I, I, I definitely haven't been perfect, but I've done a pretty good job. And I, I just see so many people not doing it at all. It's pretty yeah. sad. You know? Yeah. The, the discipline thing is, is interesting. Cause it's, I, th- I think it forces people to rethink like what love is. It's the kind of like, Hey, I love my kids. It doesn't always mean I'm going to be lovey dovey with them and coddle them and spoil them. Like sometimes the most loving thing you can do for your child is discipline the heck out of them. Like teach yeah. them a lesson that they can like, l- let them learn that lesson in that mistake and let it, that lesson come from their mom or dad, rather than them learn that lesson in the real world when they're on their own. And then it's, yeah. it's going to be a whole lot harder to learn the lesson later on in life. No, they need, they need guidelines. They actually like want guidelines and structure. They really do. Mm-hmm. And actually my wife would see it a lot where she'd have kids that would you know, uh, she'd have to kind of line out in the beginning of the school year and then actually would be pretty good kids throughout the year uh, and really not have much for issues, set the, set the standard, the guideline. And then at four o'clock, uh, the parent would walk in and be having a discussion with her in a classroom. And the kid was just like a different human, just being a complete little, you know, bastard <laughs> child. And she's like, hold on a second. That's not allowed in here. Like yeah. you, you could, you could see that kids, Kids are so smart. I mean, that's why I said from, uh, to me, 90% of parenting is done by the time they're five. Um, I mean, a baby, mm-hmm. a baby uh, will work a parent over about, you know, like say pulling it out of a crib and putting it in bed with you. Mm-hmm. And three nights later, a baby ain't sleeping through the night. It's crying <laughs> until you come get it, yep. you know? And it goes from there with, uh, with setting a standard and, and, and expecting certain things from them. And by the time they're five and they head to school, to me, it was uh, just minor tweaks and adjustments from there. Like parenting from five to 17 has been relatively easy. I mean, there's definitely bumps, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I look at it right now, like with my 17 year old, it's kind of like painting the trim on a finished house. <laughs> there's, there's some things I'm, I've definitely lost some say, and, and there's some things that I would like to paint a little different on the trim but really in the end it doesn't matter and uh the foundation so solid and and the house is so solid there that uh you know the little tweaks right now aren't going to make or break her life you know right um but man you can you can paint that trim all you want if it's on a rotten foundation it's not going to be good you know and uh it's probably going to you know it's probably going to fall down someday so (laughs) That, that to me is where it all happens, that zero to five, zero to 10. And then I don't care how good a job you do and how good a job we've done. You do, no matter what you say, from 15 to 20, you lose some say, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, no doubt about it. But like, I'm not worried about it. Like nothing that's happening right now with my daughter um, <clears throat> do I think is going to be a big deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's little things, so... Yeah, the, definitely the longer you wait to parent those lessons into your kids, I think the longer it ends up taking or the more work and the more consistency on the back end that it takes for 
the lessons to be learned. But I mean, I can't, I can't imagine being, my kids are young. So my kid, my oldest is five right now. Youngest mm -hmm. is about to turn three. I got two little boys. Like it, it's gotta be so cool to be in the position that you're in with a, with a daughter as a senior looking, like looking back, like, like you've gotta be so proud. Like what you just expressed yeah. talking about how you feel like you're just putting the finishing touches on the house. Like you did it. Um, right. That's gotta be such a strong, proud feeling, I guess, to reflect back on. It is. And, and it's, um, with all my kids right now, they're old enough where, uh, I just, th they come and ask for help once in a while. My youngest ones on homework, my oldest ones, I can't even read their homework, much less help them <laughs> on it. But, uh, yeah, they're, it's just, it's just such a joy now because you just get to watch them perform and just grow. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing that parents really need to do a better job of is actually giving kids responsibility. Like right now, uh, well, three years ago when my, you know, say my 16 year old right now was 13, I could tell my four kids to go clean the steer pins in the barn and they would go start the Kubota tractor. They'd get their rakes, their shovels. They would be shoveling my 13 year old daughter. Who's now 16. Uh, she just liked to run the tractor, but I trained them how to run the tractor. Just like when I was a kid, my dad trained me at five years old and they, they drive the tractor in and out of the barn. My boy, since he has probably been six or seven years old, takes the backhoe and pushes all the, the steer shit up in a pile. And I'm up in my shop working. They do that all by themselves. Now, could they hit one of my posts in my barn and break a post? Could they hit the wall and smash it? They could. Um, and probably the chances over the last few years have been pretty good that they would. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's just a post. If we had to replace it, we could. Um, it's just a wall. We can replace the metal. But guess what? They never did. But now they have that confidence that like they can run tractors and backhoes and do stuff by themselves. And I think a lot of parents don't actually give kids enough credit for how I think a lot of kids are bored and they're looking for things and they're getting themselves in trouble when you could say, Hey, if you want to like with, with knife making as a kid, my parents used it. It was a hammer hanging over my head all the time. Mm -hmm. hey, if, if you go smoke pot and get in trouble or get drinking at a party, we're going to lock your shop up for six months. And I knew my parents also, they weren't the kind of like, uh, joke around like that's what they would a hundred percent and it wouldn't even be five and a half months it'd be a full six um so because I was given so much responsibility and cared about something so much um they could then then turn around and use it against me yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'm glad for now you know um I remember yeah. going to my first knife show I was four, 13 years old and uh parents told me I could go months earlier and it was winter. And my dad said, all you have to do is make sure the woodshed's full and you can go. Why well, I had been working on all these knives, getting them ready. I'm all excited. And literally the night before I left, my dad's like, I don't know why you're so excited. You're not going. The woodshed's not full. He's like, I told you that was the deal. And I hauled wood for probably three hours till one in the morning to fill up that woodshed. Yep. And, uh, I got all done. And the next morning he's like, have fun at your knife show, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's just kind of stuff like you can, you can set expectations on kids, but also give them responsibility, you know? Yep. Have you yeah. had them help, uh, in your business? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, 
there's a lot of people that have received knife boxes with 11 year old handwriting on it, like right in the color. Um, mm -hmm. All of my kids pretty much, except for my youngest have tied like the paracord wrapped handles. A lot of those have been tied by my kids. Uh, they go into my shop and they sign in just as an employee does. They write down their name, the date, the time they sign out, they get paid, uh, you know, just the same as my, my employees do. Um, yeah, it's all, uh, but it's all a hundred percent when they want to, I don't, mm -hmm. uh, I don't force them to do it. I don't ask them to do it. Uh, um, that's only if they want to, you know, but they've definitely, uh, packaging my 11 year old she loves to put boxes together and package people's knives up and tape the boxes and you know and it's good for them because they get to see they've got to watch this built business literally get go from launch to where we are now and uh and I've, I've explained to them like if you're passionate about something and you can talk to people and work hard you can you can do whatever you want you know yeah and they're seeing it happen right in front of their eyes so yeah, that's really cool to for them to be able to see the whole thing kind of come to fruition, you know, yeah. from, from start to finish. That's really, I mean, that's a great illustration for them to get to see that, you know, hard work is going to pay off. We, we had um, Luke Rella on the show not too long ago, and he always says that hard work pays off, but no one tells you when it's going to happen. And yeah. uh, it's pretty cool to, for your kids to kind of, you know, they get to see that and, and live it and be a part of the, the vision, the dream as well. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And it's, it's a neat part of my childhood growing up was, you know, they're self-employed business. So I got to work with my parents. A lot of times my dad was gone long before I was up in the morning, but, uh, um, yeah, I got to work with my parents and it's, it's cool now because the last 10 years when I was a, a lineman for the power company, I was getting up and going to a day job and, uh, now they get to kind of be around more and I, I get to work around my kids and that's, that's pretty cool for sure. Yeah. So I'll ask you this kind of a big open-ended question. Um, what would, I guess, if you had to describe what your favorite part about being a dad is like your, maybe it's your favorite thing to do with your kids. Maybe it's just a, a little bit broader than that. What, what, how would you answer that? If someone just said, Hey, what's your favorite part about being a dad? Um, gosh, uh, I don't know that connection. Uh, I don't know. Just, um, it probably the excitement of the unknown of the future, you know, you're like, you're making people and then it's like making a knife, but you're making a human. And then you're like sending it off into the wild to see what it does. You know, it's like, it's like a science experiment, you know, you're, you're, you're making something and then it's like, all right, let's go see what you can do, you know, but um, really just that whole, just that whole process has been, pretty incredible and there's nothing better than watching your kid whether it's on the basketball floor football field um out hunting um you know doing their grades their homework uh as far as like seeing their report cards like my kids have all been very very successful with all that stuff and watching my boy spot a bear at a mile and a half away and you know put a put a hellacious uh stock on a bear last year where we dropped 1500 feet into a bottom and climb back out of it in the rain soaking wet and found it again. And then, you know, he made a really good shot, ethical shot and shot this bear. And then I made him pack it out yeah. and, uh, did all of it. You know, he has 65 pound pack on his back and he was 12 years old wow. and seeing, seeing them succeed and like 
do hard stuff and have it not break them is really cool, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just, I can't really put my finger on any one thing. It's just really the whole process. Yeah. It's a humbling uh, perspective when the way you just described it, it's like a science experiment and you're building a little human that you're going to send out into the world. Um, it's, <laughs> it's really yeah, humbling when, to think about it that way. Well, when, it's people, true. when people complain about their kids, I'm like, well, you made it. Like, you know, there are some, some cases, some cases where people do everything right. And their kids just, whether it's drugs or something, something comes into their life and just really, you know, you can build a beautiful house and still have it burned down. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that can happen for sure. Um, but if you really build it really well, they generally don't just fall in on themselves. And, uh, you know, so that to me, a, a friend of mine, who has some kids a little bit older than mine. And I kind of watched do a lot of stuff and emulated some of what he did and uh, learned some of the lessons from him. And he always said, um, uh, people make the kids that they deserve and that they want, you know, mm -hmm. like maybe not that they want, but that they deserve. And mm -hmm. you're, you're literally making a human and you have the power in your hands. If you do your job right to make a very productive person in society and uh, a good person and it, it it really is about self-ownership and and mm -hmm. um you know taking ownership for what you do which means you have to take ownership in that child from literally from day one yep you know and you, you can't half ass it and then decide when they're 11 and they're cussing at their teacher or you or whatever that all of a sudden it's their fault or, Oh, my kid's a little, you know, shithead. <laughs> That's your fault. You, you know, mm -hmm. you did not do the hard. And a lot of times it is, you, you kind of alluded to earlier. A lot of times it's a, it's that whole love thing, right? It's a, you, you avoided conflict to try to be easy on them. You created the problem, you yep. know? Um, and I've got several friends with kids that they're like, man, I don't know what to do. And it's like, man, you better, you better get on it right now and hard. And it's going to be like a much harder because now you've set a precedence. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was saying before. Like if the longer you wait, the longer yeah. it's going to take to teach it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a and, humbling, uh, uh, humbling way to think about it. I think that like what you're uh, like describing there is thinking about it through that lens can help people make the, the switch in their head from like, you're not babysitting your child. Like you're, you have to parent your child. And there's, yeah. there's a big, to me, there's just a big difference. And you said the word, you know, responsibility and ownership. Like you have to take that on yourself to then say, yeah. I'm going to do the hard things now because I'm not going to be around this child for forever. I have to send them out into the world at some point. And right. if you just and babysit a, them, a, you know, and at a certain point, they're not going to, they are going to be their own person. Like you can mm -hmm. try to, build this perfect human you can try to build this next doctor or lawyer or whatever you know astronaut but in the end they are they are going to have a say mm -hmm. and that's going to probably start around 15 and so you know you better have really done a good job of of building that foundation but in the end they they are going to have to write the final you know you're writing the the forward of the book they get to write the whole entire book mm-hmm um, you're just doing the forward, but hopefully you do a good job, you know, of, of setting that base. And, uh, that's, that's the part that, um, you know, no matter how good a job you do that, you know, and I always say like, as good as my kids were, um, 
every single kid's going to lie. Every single kid's going to test boundaries, you know, like, um, you know, I find it interesting. I try to not be a guy with blinders on about, oh, my kids are perfect or not doing this or that. Or I, I've tended to be, my wife and I have a good balance where I've tended to be like, sometimes questioning him too much and maybe not trusting enough. Mm-hmm. And where she's got to be like, you know, no, they're doing good. They're trusted. They're fine. But I'm, I'm like, you sure you were there? <laughs> Who else was there? You know, yeah. and, um, you know, just asking, asking questions questions and making sure that they know like well I better not slip up because my dad's a little wiser than he seems yeah. <laughs> you know I got a question for you so one of the most common things or most common things I guess that our listeners have asked about is the idea of work-life balance and we talked about this a little bit before like you really making a point to make spending time with your kids a priority but when you've got a lot going on you know you you're married you've got four kids Montana Knife Company is, you know, going nuts. I, you have to be very busy with that. I'd love yeah. to hear your perspective. And it, work-life balance is a term that I think most people don't really love, but I would love to hear your perspective on, or, or maybe advice that you would give to somebody who's struggling to balance everything that they have going on in their lives. Yeah, it's tough. And, and you know, I was definitely, I'm in a little different spot now where I'm kind of working at home, uh, even though, probably working definitely more than I was when I was doing like an eight to five job, but I've also been there with, you know, two parents working eight to five and being gone and being busy. And, and and then I was actually then still trying to do knives in the evening. So um, I don't know if there's a perfect solution to that. I guess what I would say is, is, um, you know, we try to include our kids. I, I talk freely and open pretty much about everything business wise, everything happening, right in front of my kids, include my kids in the conversation or use this as examples of, you know, this is why I'm kind of hard on you because this is, you know, this employee made this mistake later in life, probably should have learned this when he was younger in high school or whatever. But um, I, I guess the thing is, what I would say is with that is, is once you, once you do actually uh, get the chance to spend the time with your kid, then be a hundred percent present. And, and I could definitely be better about that. Um, you know, constantly getting emails, texts, DMs, whatever. Um, that's kind of the nice thing about where my boy and I went hunting. There was no cell phone service. So, you, you know, and you definitely find that like, you know, you're reaching for your phone or going to check something or whatever, and it forces you to be more present. Um, I would encourage people that have it around them is whether it's a hike, camping, whatever, if you have somewhere you can go without cell phone service, go there. Like mm-hmm. for a weekend or for a day um, forces the kid to have to be present too. You know, yep. um, that, that does go both directions. But um, I, I think, I think kids are actually more resilient than we give them credit for. Like we live in a pretty soft society. Like you look around the, around the world and how kids are living. You know, I took a bunch of videos down in Cabo when we were in Mexico uh, in January. Um, one of the locals took us kind of on a drive up through where, like it's not touristville anymore. It's like where the locals live that are working mm-hmm. at the hotels and at the dock. And um, man, you see how those kids are living. Um, I don't care if your parents have to work 12 hours a day here in the U S you still got it made as a kid. Um, yep. So I, I, I think work-life balance, you probably don't hear that quote in uh, the Sudan or in Mexico, you know, and whatever it's called survival. 
Yep. And a lot yeah, of work life balance are, is a privilege. Yeah. And a lot of those kids are still really, really good. You know, there were, there were, there were little girls down there that were nine years old that were trying to sell necklaces to tourists. I mean, they're working a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's more of an excuse here for a lot of people that just have shitty kids. Well, I work too much. No, you don't parent well enough when you're parenting. Like, don't feel guilty about the fact that you just had to work 12 hours to pay for their food. Like that, that a lot of times I think people feel guilt for working mm-hmm. and you're trying to pay a house payment and make their life better. There should be no guilt in that. Um, those kids need to appreciate that, you know, um, but you can still parent. And uh, I think a lot of times people feel bad. Oh, I was gone for 12 hours today. So now I can't come home and, you know, swap my kid on the butt an hour later when I got home. Well, you know, depending on how you parent, however you, whatever your punishment is, they, that still has to happen. Mm-hmm. That, that it's just because you work 12 hours is an excuse for them to now, you know, not do what you told them to do, you know? And yeah, it doesn't give a them a credit. Just, it's not about being a dictator. It's just about being firm and setting a standard. And now they know like, oh, that's not going to fly. Even if my dad's gone all day, he's still going to come home and expect me to do what he asked me to do, you know? Yep. Um, and I'm also big on, uh, you know, rewarding kids, uh, not just with like money or stuff or whatever, but just, t- you know, telling them they're doing a good job mm-hmm. and complimenting them, noticing things. Um, we weren't big on toys and rewarding stuff a lot of times and whatnot, but just telling them like, Hey, you're, you're doing a good job with your, your grades. I told my daughter this morning on the way to school with all her honors classes and stuff, we actually were discussing the whole valid Victorian thing. And she's like, well, that's up in smoke because last year I got an A minus and now I'm not going to be the valid Victorian. And I said, I don't give a shit about valid Victorian. Like you're, you're doing so good right now that if you graduate high school with one or two A minuses, good work, (laughs) like forget about, take that pressure off yourself. I think a lot of kids, especially these sophomores, juniors, seniors, the smartest kids and the kids that work the hardest actually get overly loaded with maybe even more than I think they should be mm-hmm. where you got some kids really coasting at the very bottom end, not being expected anything. The teachers don't expect anything out of them. Mm-hmm. And then the kids that are doing the best, I think are being like, I, I really do feel like my two older daughters have kind of been overloaded because they're trying to do everything that is offered to them, all the honor stuff, all the, and it's a very stressful existence between that and, you know, they're also standout athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I told my daughter, you know, I don't, I don't care about Val and Victorian. If you end up with a B in AP honors history. Okay. Like your, your life's not ruined. You know, you're doing just fine. Like take some pressure off of them a little bit with some of that, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. opposite from what I was telling them when they were eight and nine years old and school was easy. Mm-hmm. I was demanding, very demanding of A's like, because I knew they were capable. It's different. If you, right. you can tell if a kid struggles, they really struggle in reading and they get a B like my boy, he struggled in reading for a couple of years. Yep. He was a B was a good grade for him. Mm-hmm. He just was slow to learn how to read, you know, yep. so that I adjusted my expectation compared to my daughters who got 110% on everything, you know? Right. And either way, you're, you're, you're parenting the input, like you're, you're parenting their approach to what they're doing. Like you, you know, now with your daughter, like she's given it all she's got. 
Like you've, yeah. you've taught her that through throughout, you know, her whole childhood to now it's like, if the result doesn't necessarily match the input, the output doesn't necessarily match the input. It's not the end of the world because the input at the end of the day, to me, it sounds like to you as well is the most important thing. Like who That's our kids are is, is everything. Yeah. And you know, like with that AP world history thing, um, uh, 99.9% of the kids that are taking that are probably never going to use any of it anyway. Not that it's not important or whatever, but, uh, it's, it's the work put in and, and the, the work ethic that, uh, of, of getting through it. And then that got, I'll be honest with you. I offered for her to drop it because of how really? much other, other stuff she's got going. And she, she wants to stay in it. She wants to finish it. Um, and I, and I told her, I'm like, she knows I am, I've always said, like, when you start something, you finish it, you mm-hmm. know, with whether it's a sports team or whatever. Um, but I can see how loaded down she is. And sometimes you just have to say, okay, I took, I bet off too much that I could choose. Same in college. Maybe you start, you know, 21 credits and the next thing you're like, oh, I better take 18 because this is yeah. too much. Um, so I gave her that option. She wants to finish it. So no matter really where she ends up at the end of the year on it, I know in, in his, in life later on down the road, uh, she, most important is she knows how to work and, and I know she's going to give everything she's got to whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I do feel like as parents, you definitely have to adjust. I've learned that, um, you know, I was much more demanding, in first second grade because that's Mm -hmm. that foundation we talked about yep you know and there's um, a trust being earned i think in that as well you know them earning the trust that you know every like everybody knows now i'm I'm working hard like it i think you it's like you said you kind of groom that a little bit more intentionally and then it's it's cool to be able to look back and praise them yeah i was i was definitely a jerk about if they you know when they were young if they missed a an assignment or if they had you know anything that wasn't dialed in like you had to be on on their stuff and now like i say it's that whole uh you know it's it's kind of like starting to spin the top and then once it's spinning at full speed you can let go and that's where now they're uh i I don't ask if they got their homework done i don't none of that stuff because they're just they're just doing it all you know Uh, the only thing I do encourage like my daughter last year more was being better about not getting too much of a hole dug, like in an AP class and go Mm -hmm. talk to a teacher. That's, that's one thing I think that parents need to encourage their older kids more of is, is like, um, go talk to these teachers, these adults, most of them do want to help you. Um, sometimes kids think they just got to dig out on their own and they know they can't ask their parents for help. Like I can't help on that. (laughs) Um, but they need to, you, you know, I, I think they definitely need to learn that they can go talk to their teachers and ask before they're in too deep of a hole on something they're struggling with. Yeah, 100%. So I've got one more, I guess, parenting related question for you. And then I want to hear you. I want to hear a little bit, of, I guess, the rest of the story of Montana Knife Company. And then I'll, uh, I'll get you out of here. Yeah. So uh, when I think about legacy is something that I think a lot about and being a parent has forced me to think about that. And what I think about legacy, the way that I've kind of boiled it down in my head is, you know, I kind of think about like, you know, God willing, we're able to, to grow, grow old and leave our kids behind here on earth. And legacy to me is those, the moments, the memories, the experiences, whatever it is that we leave them with, that they remember maybe about us or what we taught them that they can then carry with them throughout the rest of their lives. And we've talked a lot about, you know, parenting, 
today and all the things that you've worked on parenting into your children. So if, if you put yourself in that position and you're thinking about what your kids are going to remember about you, what do you want them to remember about their dad? Um, besides the fact that he's unbelievably good looking. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, I, I think mostly I just want him to remember that like I, I, I gave him everything I had, you know, uh, whatever it was like I I've coached, you know, all, every one of them, I've coached their youth teams. I've, I've been involved. I've, I've, I've I was always there, I guess I should say, you know, yep. and I even, I even made some choices, you know, career wise waiting to like do what I'm doing right now um, to do other things that I thought were more, maybe going to offer more stable income to provide them a better house or whatever. But um, I, I think it's just that like, taking full inter, uh, ownership and investing in them. Um, if they can do that with their own kids. Uh, now I def, I tell them all the time, like definitely was not perfect. Um, definitely sometimes maybe got after him too hard for some small things like, uh, you know, never like abusive, just like getting after him and just, you know, being on him about certain things. Um, you know, as you, as you grow older and whatnot, you kind of see where like, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal or maybe could have, could have approached a little better, communicated a little bit better. Um, but in the end, they, they know you love them and that you also gave them everything you had, you know? Um, and I think they'll see that especially, well, they already thank me for spanking them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they literally, they're like, thank God you spanked us when we were that age, dad. Cause my daughter's babysit now. Yeah. And so they go babysit for people. And my daughter's just like, Oh my God, like this kid is a terrorist, you know? <laughs> and, um, so that they, they see, they're already beginning to see that like, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I was, I was a little hard on them here and there, but, uh, it was definitely for their betterment, you know, it made their life a lot easier. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's just that just redefinition of what, what love is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And they'll, they'll definitely see that more and more as time goes on, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. That, that's a great answer. Um, so as we, as we kind of move towards wrapping up here, um, I'd love to hear just to let everybody kind of know how we got, we kind of started your story here we got to, I think age 19, 20, when you became a master, bladesmith and then yeah here we are what is, is it 20 years later now that yeah. we here we are so you waited it sounds like 18 19 ish years to start montana knife company yep um can you talk to us just a little bit briefly about what happened in that time frame and i think you alluded to it in, in the answer to the last question but how we how we kind of got from 20 to 40 yeah. I mean, after I graduated high school, I did go full-time on knives for about 10 years doing custom knives, kind of one at a time, mm -hmm. high-end stuff. But as I started having babies and whatnot, it was definitely, uh, um, and, and then the, the market of like 08 hit, you know, the crash or, you know, uh, recession. And if you watch the news, then just like now the world was ending, you're going to have mm -hmm. a depression. It was going to be all terrible. And I was definitely kind of, I have you know, beautiful spot here in Montana. And I was like, I am not so sure that these art knives, you know, $5,000 knives are, they're going to be the first thing that leave people's budget. And so mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to take a job for a local utility, um, 
was going into the welding side actually. And then as, after I got hired there to operate backhoe for them on the gas side and learn how to weld, I, I ended up moving over to the electric side, got an apprenticeship and became a journeyman lineman. And so did the power line thing for about 10 years, um, uh, give or take. And, uh, um, but during that whole time, I had always had the idea of starting Montana Knife Company and actually registered that name with the state back when I was 19. And so wow. I've had this, I've had this idea and this plan all along. Um, I had a, a, another friend in particular, like always encouraging me, like, let's do it. Let's get off. Let's go, let's go do this right now. And I just knew I wasn't in a place, uh, may, maybe maturity level wise, but more, uh, business wise. And then definitely like more on my personal side and where I was with like parenting my kids. I just, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it all to the level that it needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely full on in that whole, uh, parenting as hard as you could parent basically, Mm -hmm. um, when they were young and, uh, you know, not that it's over now, but definitely now I'm able to take my hands off that wheel a lot more and, and do what we're doing here. So, um, also got a divorce in the middle of that. So there was personal life stuff there. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when I met my new wife, uh, you know, started telling her my idea for this company, she was kind of like, um, you should quit your job like today and go do that. (laughs) And I was like, well, (laughs) hold on a minute. And, but she was encouraging the whole time. And so we, we, I started, you know, building prototypes and started kind of setting out the idea of what it was going to look like. And, um, uh, through Bert Sorn and the Sornex people, I, I got introduced to Brandon, my business partner, and I hired him originally to do some stuff for me and I started realizing his talents and then ended up offering him a partnership in it last year. And uh, it really was nothing at that point. I mean, we had sold, you know, some knives, but it wasn't anything big. And then uh, finally, by this de- last December, it was just taking off to the point where, uh, you know, I had to quit my job. And uh, Jess had been encouraging me to do that. And finally, it was like, okay, we got to do it basically now. And so I, I quit like December 30th. And uh, it was actually funny, they had, I was out of vacation, and uh, I needed another day off for a knife business related thing. And they said, well, you're out of vacation, there's nothing we can do. I'm like, really, my vacation starts over in two days, you know, I have a month yeah. in two days. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we can't do it. And I said, okay, well then I quit. <laughs> so, and that's kind of how it worked. And, uh, wow. I went and did that thing the next day. And then from Jan, the next day was January 1st. And then from then it's just been full steam. And, uh, in August, my wife quit her job. I hired her and then we've hired three, we got three other employees and, and we just, uh, reached kind of an agreement with, uh, another guy out of California. He's moving up here. Um, so yeah, we're building a, building a big bit. We're going to be building a big building here, uh, next spring. We're working on the permitting and all that stuff and design and, uh, buying equipment and yeah, it's crazy. So that's awesome. Ahead. You even got the storybook, uh, finished to the old job too. That's, yeah. that's incredible. No vacation. All right. I quit. I'm off to yeah. do my own thing. That's, uh, that's as good well, as it gets right there. And I think they kind of knew it was coming. I had asked them several weeks, maybe a month earlier, if they like did a kind of a sabbatical type thing where like, Hey, kind of take off unpaid, no benefits kind of deal for three or six months. And 
mm-hmm. see how this goes. And that was a no. And I had told him then, I'm like, well, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to like do both. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I think they kind of had an idea, but definitely yeah. that caught him a little off. It's just a big corporation and there's no, there's no room for like understanding or wiggle there. It's kind of like black or white. And yep. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> then I had to make a choice. So yeah. Yeah. It was the best thing I ever did. So. That's incredible. Well, congratulations on all the success that you guys have had so far. I know momentum is strong right now. Um, like I said, you guys are crushing it. The brand story is phenomenal. Even as somebody who has never gone hunting before, like I said, like I'm ready to go buy a bow and, and get out there. Um, so where's it. the, it's a great, it's a great thing. Like, you know, uh, spending time with kids out in the field. Uh, my boy and I went last weekend, we didn't shoot anything, um, mm-hmm. passed up some deer. It's a great way to teach them you know, uh, responsibility ethics, you Mm -hmm. know, appreciation for the land and mother nature and, um, where your food comes from and conservation. And there's so much to it besides just shooting stuff and taking pictures of it, you know? Right. Um, yeah, it's a full medium to have the opportunity to, to parent the lessons that we've been talking about all afternoon today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so where, where's the and, best place to, uh, to follow you guys? Where's the best yeah, place? Uh, Instagram, you know, Montana knife company and, uh, you know, at Montana knife company. And then at Josh Smith knives is my personal page. You see more like family stuff in is yep. more, you know, just business related, but, uh, yeah, that's the best. Uh, we have, you know, Montana knife company.com and I have my website that shows kind of my higher customs, you know, that the MKC brand is more of the using knives kind of for working people type, uh, more affordable stuff that uh, a guy can buy. And we're big on that whole buying a knife, using it for years and then passing it down. You know, so many of us have been handed down grandpa's old pocket knife or hunting knife or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the whole idea behind our brand. And, a lot of knives now they have these replaceable blade knives where they're made to throw away and we live kind of in a throwaway world. And I, I feel like we're making something to pass down instead of throw away, which is cool. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty in that. Like you said, most things, it seems like these day are, these days are made to be thrown away, but anyway, it, yeah. highly recommend everybody check out Montana knife company. And I will say if you like what you see and you know that they're going to be dropping knives, set an alarm clock, be ready it's everything that i've seen so far you guys are selling out in like a minute or less like they are coming and going yeah it's been crazy um and we're definitely trying to catch up with that demand but yeah everybody that's been helping us out it's just it's kind of driven driven beyond what i can imagine but we're uh you know procuring steel and being able to do bigger and bigger runs has been a challenge i mean it was just on the phone trying to get you know the whole cargo ship thing and mm-hmm. you know getting steel and um because a lot of the steel that you know we uh you know unfortunately we lost a lot of the steel industry in the u.s you know and so yep. a lot of our steel does come from like austria and switzerland um and just getting it shipped is 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 a challenge but uh we're working on that uh, we're also going to be coming out with chef's knives which is super cool um and then that's uh, awesome. hopefully building our business into even making like pocket knives here in the next year or so. So yeah, that's awesome. Exciting. I'm going to be on the lookout for the chef's knives. I spend a lot of time, uh, cooking in the kitchen, everything like that. So that's going to be right up, right up my alley. I'll definitely be on the lookout. 
Um, and when that, when that awesome, comes, man. when that comes out, I'll, I'll make sure to share it around with, with our following here. And, um, but yeah, thank Appreciate you so much that. again for making time for us today. This has been a really awesome conversation. Um, like I said, been following you and, and seeing everybody buy into your brand. It, it's so cool to see that and, uh, hearing you speak, you know, just today having an awesome conversation and then hearing you on some other platforms and stuff, you're, you know, the co- a compliment I'd give you is just, you're a guy that you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And that comes from being transparent and genuine and you know all the all those values come right through with uh, the branding of montana knife company as well so kudos to you guys thank, thanks thank again you, for coming on yeah thank you brandon i really appreciate it all right everybody that's it thanks for listening and if you haven't already do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review we can't thank you enough for your support until next time remember to love and lead from the front see you